And feel free to blurt it out if you'd like. What do you think God's greatest gift? Forgiveness. Eternal life. Eternal life. I like it. Anybody else? How did I know I was going to get a theological answer out of you? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, anybody else? God's greatest gift. Think about it. Glory to God. Black beans and rice. Mercy. Mercy. That's up there on my list. Definitely up there on my list. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 says, Behold. I, by the way, don't you just love it when the Bible begins with those, Behold. You know, it's kind of like the old castle movies. And then guys come in with the big, long, skinny horns. And they go, da, 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 and Behold. And then in comes somebody important. So what does behold mean? Behold technically means look. But more than just look, it means um, consider what you're looking at and think about it and understand it. Absorb it and receive. Something important is about to enter. So this verse begins with one of those. And I hear the trumpets coming out of heaven at the head of this verse. Behold, what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. Now, when I use the term sons of God, I hope you understand. I know it's the 21st century, but long before wokeism and uh, political correctness uh, was belched up onto the surface of the earth, God referred to humanity as sons, as Adam. Adam was a name that covered male and female. So when we say Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. He's talking about sons and daughters. So just make that correction or whatever you want to think of it is. In your mind, God is saying sons and daughters. So look at the kind of love that God has given us. I'd like to put forth today for your consideration that the greatest gift God gave us is Sonship, and specifically the love of God that is manifest in sonship. We have become children of God, and that is the greatest thing that God has done for us. It has changed us in the most dramatic way. It has transformed everything about our position in eternity, but also in time and space. Every day when we wake up, we wake up with a life that is recognized at the throne of God, that is recognized in heaven. We have names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We are viewed from heaven and from eternity by all of the angels of God and by the Lord God himself. We are viewed as his son and as his daughter when we wake up. And think about what you wake up like. If you're anything like me, there are times when I wake up and, and I think to myself, I'm, well, I'm not feeling like the ambassador of Christ when I wake up and try to peel myself out of the bed in the morning. Um, I, when I was younger, I used to wake up and shoot out of bed like a rock, just ping. Before I hit the floor, I had slid into my clothes and I was ready to go and out the door. 
that doesn't really happen too much anymore. But the fact of the matter is there are times when we, get, we wake up, we don't feel like the sons of God. But do you know what? The angels go, he's up again. The devil goes, oh no, he's up again. We're going to need to get to work. We're recognized. It's one of the greatest things that God has given us. I think the greatest of all. It is, it is the way God loves us. A lot of people could say they love you, but how do they love you? You know, millions and millions of couples have, have met at the altar, committed their lives to one another in holy matrimony, become husband and wife, and, and hoping to keep that covenant forever. But circumstances of life can be cruel and brutal and rough. And somewhere down the road, that, that marriage pulls apart because the love that keeps them together changes. It morphs. It, uh, it, it leaks out or however you want to think about it. But the love that, that made them one now is gone and other forces come in to that relationship and start pulling it apart, sowing their seeds and displacing the love that made them one. But God shows his love to us for his part by eternally loving us and making us his sons and daughters. He removes at the very first moment that we approach eternal life. He, through the blood of his son Jesus, removes every reason that he ever had for not embracing us. Everything within us that comes under the heading of sin gets wiped away, never to be remembered or recalled again by the blood of Jesus. And then he immediately brings us in, hugs us as his son or as his daughter. We are his. I want to talk about this morning three things that happen when the love of God turns us in to his sons and his daughters. And they're so simple, I know you'll relate to them, but they are so important, and especially in the times that we live in, in the world that we live in, they are always at risk of being pushed out of our lives. In fact, I think the greatest warning Jesus gave about the end times wasn't about the wars or the moon being turned into blood or all of the upheavals of the nations. I think the greatest warning was and because iniquity shall abound, the agape, the love of God in many, will grow cold. Because lawlessness will be rampant, many will be um, distracted by it, like Peter was when he saw the wind and the ferocious waves. The wind and the waves were occurring when he climbed out of the boat. But the moment that he started to pay attention to them, they didn't increase, they didn't change, they still were what they were, but they began to claim him because he looked away from Jesus. And Jesus' warning is that we will look away in the last times, last days, from his love. The love that makes us sons and daughters of God. We'll forget what it means to have God's love in us. And so I want to hit these three things this morning so that you can leave this church today uh, reinforced with an actual grasp upon the love of God that the devil will find very hard to take out of your hands. How's that sound? Amen. Praise Good. the Lord. Say, Pastor, if you can do that, Pastor, if you can do that, I would really appreciate it. I 
All right, great. I'm going to do my best then. Praise the Lord. So behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. What kind of love? What kind of love is it? The first thing, three things I want to share. Number one, it's a love that comes with a presence. When the love of God has crossed the threshold in your life, you've become born again, a transformation takes place. He literally enters and lives within you. From that moment on, you have the capacity to appear in public, to walk through your days, to engage in your relationships with the presence of Almighty God emanating from you. I'd say that was an awesome gift. That comes through love. God loved us in a way that he put presence into us. When my wife and I were first called into ministry, we got called in a Book of Acts kind of way. We didn't go through the normal steps of uh, training, although we went to Bible school. We, 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 we didn't go complete Bible school and then look for open doors and, and you know, hook up with some kind of an organization that that would see our value in ministry and provide an opportunity and then work our way faithfully through that. And by, by the way, by saying it and, and expressing it like that, I, I am not at all diminishing. That's probably the way 95% of people who, who, are, who enter the ministry or, or hear the call of God come. We came a completely different way. The Lord would meet us in a dream. He would speak to us. He would tell us to go 1,500 miles away from home to a strange land among a strange people and be his voice and speak to them in his name. And we would just, we would just take our last $20 in our pocket and take off and leave everything behind. Nobody asking us to come there. Nobody knowing we were coming. Just going because God said go. Fifteen years later, a great, powerful, strong church is there sending ministries around the world. God does those kinds of things because of something called presence. We were very young. We had no credentials that would impress anybody. There was no reason that we could show for anybody to take anything we said seriously. The fact that a ministry actually came forth, a great, powerful church that, that planted other churches, happened and occurred is because of presence. There are a lot of things in this life you can do without the presence of God, but the kingdom of God you cannot do without his presence. You, um, you can do a lot of things in this life with skills and talents and native abilities that you have within yourself. But if you want to live the kind of life that you read about in the, the Gospels, be that man, be that woman, regardless of what your occupation is, um, but be that great representative of Christ, you can't do it without presence. Imagine standing in front of people who don't know you and declaring what God is saying, knowing that he is going to open the eyes of the blind, 
knowing that he is going to deliver people from demonic bondage, knowing those things are going to happen, and speaking it and realizing the whole time that what you look like in their eyes is an oddity. Why would I listen to that? They, you have no credibility. It's presence. The presence of God sits in you like a mighty fortress, a mighty rock of confidence. It is the greatest gift. You know not only does he love me, but he is with me. Do you remember when he said to Joshua, have not I commanded you? Be courageous and obey me because I'm with you wherever you go. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Do you remember when David stood in front of Goliath, just a teenager, and a 10-foot Philistine, mocking him, charging at him to attack him? All of the soldiers sitting in foxholes. Nobody was coming to his rescue if this went sideways. And yet David yells at Goliath, and he says, after Goliath cursed God, he said, you just cursed God, I think I heard you just curse God. So I'm just warning you, in about 10 minutes from now, you will be dead. I'll be cutting your head off of your shoulders because of what you've just done. And guess what? Within 10 minutes, that's exactly what happened. Where does that come from? Presence. The presence of God. So the, where does presence come from? It doesn't come through starving yourself for 40 days and 40 nights. And I love fasting. Uh, it doesn't show, I know that. So you, I, you don't have to think ugly thoughts. But it doesn't come through, through fasting for 40 days or 40 nights. It, uh, it comes from the presence of God. It comes from love. And it just... Makes our hearts melt to know that this tremendous, powerful gift called God's presence is given to us because God loves us. He would not give it on the basis of anything less. He will not permit us to take the law of Moses and work for it. He won't permit us to take all of the, the cultural do's and avoid all the cultural don'ts and try to be a good person and earn it. You can't have God's presence any other way than Will you let me love you? Not do you accept the fact that I love you. Will you let me love you? I remember when I first saw my wife. I had heard for weeks that this beautiful girl, I said, well, what does she look like? I know most of all the girls in town. Um, but at any rate, uh, here in Clearwater, uh, I heard this, there's this beautiful girl that she's, the word is out that she wants, she likes you, she wants to meet you. I'm thinking, can you imagine what that does to a teenager, you know, that she likes me, that doesn't even know me, she likes me. And uh, I was intrigued. That would be the best. I was totally intrigued. But one night, down on Clearwater Beach, my friends and I are sitting there, and she walks by with a couple of her friends, and they pointed her out. They said, that's Kathy Avera. And I went from intrigue to something else. <laughs> Instantly, I was not intrigued. I was, I have to meet this girl. So it took me about 15 minutes, but we got her done. 
Praise the Lord. A couple years later, we were married, and we went from feeling love for each other to feeding off each other's love. Her love was in me. My love was in her. We shared a love that made us one. I love that ritual at weddings where they take the two separate candles and then they light the candle in the middle and blow out the, end of the two individual flames because they show the light, the fire of two lives being blended as one. And that's a beautiful analogy of what marriage is, which in and of itself is an analogy of the great love. Behold what manner of love the Father has. He has brought our flames together. My flame was flickering and about to go out. His was an eternal flame, and it, it came and united. So I, I I'm, have all these years been just, it's never gotten old, never gotten old, that he loves me. It's so real in me. So whenever I've been challenged by people, whenever I was in a dangerous situation, whenever I was in an impossible situation, but I knew God was with me, I knew he had put me there, that love just stood up in me, and I knew the Lord is with me. You can say what you want, you can threaten all you want, you can do it, but you can never change what God has said and done in me. That's what the Lord gives you. The first thing about God's love is it brings a presence into your life. And it's not God's feeling towards you. It's his presence installed in you. So that's the first thing you need to know about God's love. It's installed in you. It's not an emotion that is emanating from heaven towards you. It is his presence literally within you. That means... At any time, you could get alone and just take those few minutes and say, Father, I feel a million miles away from you. Father, right now, I'm encapsulated in my own thoughts, my own emotions, and because I've just had a, a, a challenging day, a challenging week in the world, it has depleted me. My thoughts are anything but spiritual. Lord, I come to you and I just stir up your presence within me. I just say thank you for loving me. Put it in your own words and just talk to the Father. It won't just set your watch by it. 30 seconds and the Spirit of God will begin to arise. The presence of God. Think of a scripture or verse. Father, thank you. And at first you don't want to say those things. You don't feel, you still feel cold as ice. It doesn't matter. Because the truth, the reality is his presence is in you. And he sees you reaching out to him. You'll never reach out to a hand that isn't reaching back. God's presence is within you. I think it's important to understand about the love of God that it began in your life as a cure before it ever became a commandment or a mission. We tend to think of love as an order God has given us. Love others love the world we tend to think of earning god's love because we in the name of his love go and love other people but what happens when you're not a very loving person you not we don't need a show of hands but there's some people that are just just a little cold you know and sometimes you can go get counseling and they can they can tell you you have a you have a disorder you you have uh uh 
disassociative something or other, detachment, social, whatever-itis. And the bottom line is, you just don't really care about people too much. <laughs> bottom line is, you're just not a super loving person. Some people are just like little cuddly bears and kittens and puppies. You want to hold them and hug them. Others are just like, get out of here, kid. Get off my lawn. You know, just, there's nothing about them that you want to embrace. God sees beyond all of that. He loves you because he loves you. He doesn't love you because you're cuddly. He doesn't love you for any of those reasons. He loves you because he made you. He loves you because he understands you. And the night I got saved, I went from being a cold-hearted atheist, existentialist, to being an absolute wide-open child of God in a matter of moments. When I opened my heart and said, Lord, are you real? And, it, and within minutes this transformation took place. It's his love that opens that door and comes in and reveals himself to you. So love began as your cure before it ever became your commandment. I know that Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And we think that we love God back always and only by simply doing those things. And yes, Jesus did say, if you love me, you will keep on. But I think when Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I say, I don't think he spoke that as a threat. I think he, sp I think he spoke that prophetically. He was speaking to his love within you. You know, when God's love came into your life, it mixed with you. And the two of you are irrevocably made one. And so when he moves through his love in you, it moves your heart. And so he said, if you love me, don't forget to love others. Don't forget to show it. Because everyone who has let God love them has a capacity to do anything God wants done. When you let God's love in your life, you have that capacity to be what, it doesn't matter if you're not composed that way. It doesn't matter if you're that scruffy, unlovable person you can now be God's cream puff if that's what he wants you to be. Praise the Lord. And you don't have to worry about tearing yourself apart and trying to remake yourself. God's love in you will do that work. Amen? Amen. So, let me say one other thing before I go on to point number two. I hope you get this because I just can't camp out on it, but it's such, there's a revelation in here. God is more concerned God is more concerned with how you respond to his love than your struggles with your own weaknesses. Now, I need to be very careful. I don't want anybody to take this as a license to sin. However, I've been in this long enough to know that people will sin without a license. So, you know, they, they just will. They, you don't need to give them a license. They'll mess up just because they mess up. That's the way it is, right? God is far more concerned about how you respond to his love than your struggles with your moral issues and all those other things. Not to trivialize them, not to minimize them. Why do you want to shoot yourself in the foot? That's what sin does. Why do you want to trip yourself up? Why do you want to burden yourself? Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says they are weights 
putting aside every weight of sin, you know, the sin that so easily besets you. And, and so why would you want to do that? That, you know, you, it's not good for you. But God is far more important, far more interested in how you respond to his love. Because you know what? You can monitor your behavior. You can rigidly discipline yourself always in devotionals, reading, making sure that you are walking, spiritually following the Lord. Those are wonderful things. But you can make that your mission. Uh, but those things, no matter how good at them you are, are never going to do what God's love in you can do. They're never going to bring the presence of God just because you do them. The only time they bring God's presence in your life is when it is through his love that you do those things. When you are moving in the love of God. When it's God's love moving on your heart that causes you to reach out or to do those things. God is concerned about how you relate to his love because that is the life of all things in you. That is where your life comes from. And so if you are indifferent to his love, if you begin to drink somebody's Kool-Aid that says to you that, that God doesn't love you, or in some way or another you allow yourself to begin to think that God is, is, um, is not, that you're, thank you, Lord, um, you begin to think you're not God's favorite. My wife told me many years ago, that I should really pay attention to her because she's God's favorite. Once I figured that out, we had, we had a better marriage. We had a great relationship. So the, the fact is, God is concerned that you're going to let some influence talk you out of the fact that you're God's favorite. You need to know you're God's favorite. You need to know that presence is in you because he loves you more. And um, God is concerned about how you respond to his love. That is the way you fix every problem in your life. That is the way you overcome every obstacle, is just run into the love of God. Just get a fresh baptism of his love. I can't say any more about that. I need to move on. Point number two. Um, behold what kind of love the Father's given us that we should become the sons of God. What kind of love is it? Number two. It's a love that brings a knowing, a knowing. When you can't put it into words, you still know. It's something that has happened to you, and it is still happening to you. It's happening in you every moment, and it produces a knowing. And even when you can't put it into words, even when you can't explain it, you know things. I'm here, and I know things. See, it's that awesome feeling. I'm here. I know things. Isn't it awesome when you know something? You know some things? Wow, that's great. It gives you a sense of security. Well, when you become a child of God, when you pursue that relationship, there is a knowing that it emanates in you. And Ephesians 3, 17 and 19 says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of his people what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, 
and to know the love of God, the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, love causes you to know things that you didn't learn. Love causes you to know things that you didn't work for. Love fills you with a knowing that you can't explain, but you are, you are receiving the peace, the confidence of that knowing. You know, when you know something, danger is coming, but you have a secret. You know something. Everything's going to be okay. You stand in the face of the onslaught, the, the, uh, the what do they call those big uh, tsunamis? Tsunami's coming. You can stand on the beach. The thing can just cut a path right around you because you know. There's a knowing that could cause you to stand. You can't explain it. You didn't learn it. It surpasses the process of learning. While I um, am always harping on get in the Word, know the Word, learn the Word, do you know that one of the words in the Word says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life? You could be filled with all kinds of learning, and it could be true learning, it could be good learning, and that's good for you. But the love of God, the knowing, the presence, is what puts it all together and makes it something in your life. So I, I heartily recommend God's love so that you can walk through life with that knowing. Jesus' love in you fills you with this awesome, eternal confidence in the Father. And it transforms your very relationship with life and how you walk through life. You walk through life with a kind of confidence. Let's say you've never achieved anything that is super outstanding. Do you know that unsaved people, people that don't know God, go through life and they all strive for some piece of real estate in life that they can plant their life on and say, I am somebody. I have done something. I know something. Just something. And God helped those that are in competition with everybody else and always looking at where everyone else is at because you're going to have a hard life and you're, you're going to have trouble with contentment and peace and happiness. So it's a good thing to have confidence within yourself that's not dependent on others. But I will say this, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know his love, you're still going to go through life trying to find out who you are, um, trying to get a sense of yourself that gives you what the love of God gives you here that I call knowing that you may know the love of God, the dimensions of his love, and that will fill you with all the fullness of God. Somebody who spends time knowing the Lord loves them and measuring it. Why did he say that you may know the length, the height, the depth, the breadth of God's love? What's he talking about? I do a lot of remodeling and, and you know, building and that kind of work. I've done that all my life. Um, and so I know how to use a tape measure or a ruler. Who knows how to use a ruler tape measure? Sure. Most people nowadays know how to do that. 
So think about it when he says that you may know the dimensions of God's love. How would you know the dimensions of God's love unless you got the measuring tape out and measured them? That takes time. Takes an eye and a mind for detail and for accuracy. And, you know, measure twice, cut once, right? So you know it's a precise thing. And here, Paul is inviting you and I to measure the love of God. What's he saying? What's he talking about? He's talking about you and I studying God's love, thinking about it, meditating. By whatever metrics you use in life to weigh or to measure value, take those lenses, focus them on the love of God. Learn these verses that I'm sharing with you that talk about God's love. Chew them up, devour them, measure them, learn about the love of God. Because 1 John 4 says, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who dwells in love dwells in God. So if you have an immature, unmeasured, thin, two-dimensional revelation of the love of God, just you see it as an emotion or a sentiment. God has this sentiment. He loves me. But it really doesn't mean much to you because you haven't put any depth in thinking about what that really means. You know, when you measure the love of God, when you start understanding the expanse and the depth of his love, you automatically compare it with your own needs. When you learn how deep, how high, how wide, all of a sudden the dimensions of your problems, the dimensions of your needs come into focus and you start seeing the overwhelming outstripping of your problems and your needs by the wonderful dimensions of God's love. So that's why it says you will be filled with the fullness of God if you'll measure his love. The love of God that makes you a daughter or son of God comes with a knowing. So, um, and <clears throat> that knowing, I'm going to say one more thing about before I move on to the third and final point. When you don't know what to do, you don't know what's happening, the one thing you do know is I know he loves me. I know him. And the knowledge of his love can override all the not knowing. The knowing is love can override what you don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't understand what's going on. Whatever those things are, the deep challenges in life, you can, in the middle of them, stand still and know that I am God, the Bible says. Stand still, know that I'm God. What do I know about him as God? I know he loves me. That knowing is within. It's, I'm not knowing that his love is out there. I'm knowing that it's in here. Number three, this knowing that I'm talking about makes you fearless. So presence, knowing, and fearlessness. There is a fearlessness, a confidence that is produced inside of you by the love of God. In 1 John 4, we had quoted this earlier, but I'll give you the chunk of scriptures from verse 16 to 18. Listen to what John says. For we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. 
and God abides in him. By this, by this knowing and believing the love of God, love is developed and perfected within you. One translation says, by knowing and believing the love of God, love, God's love has reached its goal in you. So when God's love came into your life, it came with a goal. I want to saturate their whole being. I want to fill every part of their life until every ounce of her being, every, every inch of his life, spirit, soul, and body knows he is loved by me. And my love is ruling that person's, ruling in that person's life. And isn't it awesome? God's love does not conquer us. I know we like to be romantic and we write songs, you know, Lord's love conquered me. But God's love doesn't conquer us because, you know, we, we conquer foes. We don't conquer people that we love. God's love picks us up. God's love embraces us. God's love carefully puts us where we were created to be, where we belong to be. His love never obliterates us but makes us shine, fills us, makes us full. Hallelujah. So he says, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love, God abides in him. And by knowing and believing uh, in God's love, God's love reaches its goal within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. One of the first things you notice as a child of God, when God's love comes in and you are a daughter of the living God, you're a son of the living God, you never fear messing up and God dealing with you. You never fear it. You may not like it, but God never punishes his children. He corrects them. There's a big difference. Amen. Judgment begins at the house of God because the house of God isn't always filled with God's people. It's not always led by God's shepherds. The, quote, house of God is the one Jesus went in, flipped the tables over, and ran those jokers out of there. That was a house of God. He says, you've turned it into a den of thieves. Supposed to be a house of prayer. So just because the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God, it stops at your front door. God will never deal with you by judging you, which means condemning and punishing. He does not condemn. He does not punish you. He corrects you. He deals with you. Now, um, his dealing can be very uncomfortable at times. The Lord, with a look, can make you feel very uncomfortable. With a word, he can make you upset, bring you to tears. But he's not going to punish you because you're his beloved. You're his child. When I messed up as a kid, yeah, I, back, I was back in the day. My parents would have been in prison lots of times <laughs> if they'd have been raising me in the 21st century. My dad had... I'd have to go to the big house to visit him. Um, but when I got in trouble and I got, got disciplined, my dad didn't send me down the street to the pedophile stranger, you know, lives in the next block and say, all right, I'm sending you down there and he is going to punish you. 
Why would, he not, why would God not do that? Because I'm his son. He protects me. He loves me. God protects and he loves you. He is not going to punish you. He doesn't punish you. If you don't listen, you don't listen. And you think, that's it? You mean if I don't listen to God, that, that's it? I don't, yep, that's it. It's pretty much it, yep. But just know what you're missing if you don't listen. You could be missing a lot. But God's not going to punish you to get you to do it. He will appeal to you. He loves you. He'll correct you. He'll let you know if he's not happy with something you've done. But his not being happy with something you've done doesn't mean he's not happy with you. God is always happy with you. He loves you. Praise the Lord. And so, God's love gives us a fearlessness. We are fearless. We have a confidence. We know that no judgment or, or correction, uh, no chastisement, I'm sorry, that's the scripture, no, no correction, no chastening, seems for the present to be joyous but grievous, but afterwards always yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So sons of God, daughters of God, they know that correction is not punishment. It gives you a fearlessness. You're never afraid of God. 1 Peter 5, 5-7 says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Now, all of you got up this morning and put clothes on. You covered your nakedness. You put clothes on. And that was good. We appreciate that. Um, but do you know that although they say clothes make the man, and we know that uh, people are known for their certain look, right? But that look, while it may be associated with them, is not them. Your clothes are not you. We can take the clothes away, but we haven't taken you away just because we take the clothes away. Right? You get what I'm saying? So listen to what he says here. Clothe yourselves, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, and God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under God's mighty hand by casting all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. This fearlessness, this incredible confidence that God gives us through his love that makes us his sons and his daughters allows us to fall before God, confess our sins, say, I need you, I've messed up, humble ourselves, even humble ourselves before others and put on the clothing of humility I, before others because inside we are royalty. You can't take the royalty away from a child of God. I don't care what you do to them. I don't care what conditions you put them in. They're still royalty. Paul chained to the Philippian jail wall. He was still royalty, wasn't he? Although he looked and smelled and like every other prisoner in there, he was still the child of God that heaven loved. So there is a fearlessness that we can face the threats of life with and say, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. And I can humble myself in front of you and it doesn't cost me anything. I don't lose anything because my humility is not humiliation. Inside, I'm not walking in humiliation because God loves me. I don't have a reason to be in humiliation. 
Even when I make mistakes, I don't allow myself to drink that Kool-Aid of humiliation. I humble myself before God because I can afford to. I know He loves me. And I can confess whatever I need to confess, no matter how difficult it is, because I know I'm loved. The day you cross that threshold and God's love made you His daughter, made you His son, you will never go back to being junk. You are not a humiliation. You are the offspring of the Most High God. So when the Bible says, humble yourself, be fearless about it. What have you got to lose? You've already won. You already have the victory, right? right? You're a child of God. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So I'm going to close. We're going to pray. And um, no wonder it says in 1 Corinthians 13, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love because it brings presence. It brings knowing, and that knowing brings fearlessness to your life. You know what? The world needs to see Christians that walk in the love of God. Amen. Let's close our Bible and stand together.